Welcome to The Bridge, the official podcast for the University of Maryland Baltimore School of Pharmacy Patients Program. The Patients Program is the bridge between the community and the researchers. The Patients Program created this partnership to help researchers listen to the community's voice in order to build a bridge to an effective learning healthcare community. Here's your host, Rodney Elliott. Luke Cooper, what's going on, boss? How are you? Everything's great, man. Let's get it. Man, listen, Luke, I appreciate you uh, answering the text when I text you. You, you email me back. Um, stay connected. Um, we saw each other last year for the first time in a long time at Patience Day. And I knew immediately as soon as I saw you, we picked up right where we left off. 100%. And for folks that don't know where we left off, um, I'm Rodney Elliott, Community Engagement Specialist for the Patients Program, sitting here talking to my guy, Luke Cooper. Um, where we left off before last year, Patients Day, was right around the corner at the Carmelo Anthony Center. Now it's called a UA Powerhouse. <laughs> we used to hoop every morning, 8, 9 o'clock in the morning, playing basketball, and... Folks here know me as Rodney Elliott. I knew you back then as mechanic. I'm still known as mechanics, and I, and I know you. I know you then, knew you then, and I know you now as as noodles. There you go. <laughs> there you go. For sure. For sure. Yeah, yes. Honey. So, Luke, do me a favor. We're gonna dive right into a conversation, man. We're gonna talk about some financial literacy. We're gonna talk about mental well-being. How did mechanic become a president? The, I'm sorry, the UMB president's distinguished scholar. Like, where where did that come into play? How did that happen? Yeah. That's a that's a great that's a great starting place, man. It is great to be with you, Rodney. Have nothing but deep admiration for for you. You know those those basketball games were everything, man. Like we, you know, all of us are like former Division One, Division Two athletes that you know still have it in us to to be competitive and play. And, you know, we would get out there and we would be, you know, it would be competitive. And like, those are some of the best days, best games, you know, that we ever played, right? But, you know, I, I was taking those moments every day after, you know, the, the energy I got from, from that basketball, those basketball games and applying it to the work that was ahead of me, right? And so when I think about, you know, um, your question, right? Of like, you know, how do, how do you go from being the mechanics? First, first of all, we got to talk about for a second, how I even got that nickname. That, that nickname. is a good question. How did yeah, you get yeah, the yeah. nickname McCann? <laughs> <laughs> I got that nickname uh, because when I first got to Baltimore, right, I, I graduated. I went to a Delphi undergrad. I played D2 basketball. Uh, my coach was uh, Coach Clifford, Steve Clifford, who's now the head coach of uh, Charlotte Hornets. Still very good friends, go to his games and all that stuff. I'm, I'm happy to share that, that experience with my son. I know you have a son that played college basketball. Yep. Um, and so... You know, I leveraged that experience to, to get to law school, you know, graduate law school by 24, got my MBA, I don't know, before I was 30, you know, at Babson, and then just like since then just been busy, right? And so when I got to Baltimore, you know, just graduating law school in 01, you know, I, I was still very active playing basketball, missed it and all that kind of stuff, looking for my tribe, right? And basketball was a way for me to navigate the city to like understand every aspect of Baltimore and entrench myself into the community. And everywhere I go, whether it's West Baltimore, East Baltimore, you know, wh wherever I am, people, they know me, they know me as mechanics, they, kn they know me as a basketball player, they know me as a good dude, you know, they know me as a dude that's ready to, to get it with them, whatever whatever the, 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 the game is, right? And so 
um, basketball was that for me. And I got that nickname because uh, our good friend Chuck, Chucky, uh, you know, uh, liked the way I shot shot the ball. He thought it was very fundamental. And, he, and he's like, you know, you're like a mechanic, man. Like, you're so precise. And uh, and so that's how that nickname came and it just stuck, right? And so I'm, and they even call my son now Little Mechanics, right? But to your question about like, you know, how do you go from that to becoming the distinguished presidential scholar at the UMB? It's like, you know, I got that distinction through the mud, right? I'm from the mud. I grew, I grew up in Quantics Projects in Bridgeport, Connecticut. My father was in prison most of my life. Um, when I was 12, he went away, he got 20 years and did 12 of 20. Um, that same year, you know, I was fortunate enough to go through a program called Nifty, Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship, learn how to build, you know, solar power microwaves, learn entrepreneurship, um, won my science competition, my business plan competition. Those things created healthy self-esteem in me. Mm -hmm. um, and then lastly, my mom took us up, you know, over Bridgeport. You know, Bridgeport is not different than Baltimore, very similar um you know realities and, and bridgeport and uh and she took us up in this tiny cessna airplane she had just begged a pilot that um you know worked at a, a nearby airport and was just like hey you know can can you do this you know and he was like yeah we'll figure it out and like they you know this white dude get there and they like they take us up and i see parts of my project housing and it's like at a distance and i'm like oh well where i am is not who i am it disconnected those things for me so when i think about the distinction right that comes with um, you know, my title at University of Maryland, Baltimore, all of those things make up that distinction, not my law degree, graduating top 20% of my class, you know, working at, you know, big firms, working in-house counsel at a, at a, a fortune 10, you know, selling two companies for more than $75 million, um, hiring 80 plus people in my last, you know, gig, you know, managing 200 plus people in another company that I bought and sold. Um, you know, those things are, are great things that I've done in my business career, you know, but the things that I, I pull remarkable distinction from are the things that made me who I am today. You know, the, 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 the my children, right? The, 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 watching my daughter go through stage four cancer, you know, as she was, as, as I was building the last company, like the distinction for me comes from the hardship that I've had to navigate and the learnings that I've gotten from those things and how I'm transforming, you know, hopefully forever the way that we interact with our community at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. Man, you dropped some jewels right there, Luke, about, um, you know, your entrepreneurship. You dropped some personal jewels that I didn't know about. And, um, you know, salute to you and um, to, to that. Um, but you talked about those lived experiences and in the patients program. We share that terminology a lot. Like lived experiences are basically who you are. And when we deal with our community, in the patients program, we make sure that our community members understand that their experiences, their lived experiences are just as important as the doctors, the stakeholders that they're engaging with, that they're talking to, that have all those letters behind their names, PhD, MD, doctorate. They are professionals in what they do. You are professionals in your lived experiences. And together, when we do come together in the terms of in the, in the name of research or in the name of, um, you know, uh, patient advocacy, it's important for both sides to be there. And I shared with you something via text a couple months ago, and the title was basically about how self-care is key to both mental and financial well-being. And that's what I wanted to call and talk to you about because you have some lived experiences in that financial part that makes it relatable when you do go into whatever arena. That's right. Right? Yeah, I, yeah it's a good it's a good setup, Rodney, because you're, you're right. Like, the things... 
we, we, we go to school, right? We're, we're taught to, to, to do the right thing and, and like, you know, work really hard to develop yourself academically, professionally, you know, uh, athletically, all of those things. But when it comes to academics, we're just taught to go down one chute right. as it relates to just learning about finance, learning about business, learning about entrepreneurship. You know, these things are, are things that you might learn in college, but the on, on the underlying, you know, sort of base of it, like we don't know how to manage our own finances, right? And the reality of that is that, you know, most of like personal finance and how to, how to gain like, you know, true financial literacy is taught through family, right? But the family structure, you know, in the black community and in communities that, you know, um, you know, the patient advocacy programs are really targeting, they're, they're, those are those those lessons are vacant, right? Those those lessons are not there, right? Because years of of you know poverty, years of you know um, years of, of redlining, years mm -hmm. of, of living below the standard. You know what I mean? We got thirty percent of the population in the city of Baltimore that lives at or below the poverty line. You've got ninety three thousand people in Baltimore City that don't have internet access, right? Like, how the hell can we talk about how can we talk about financial literacy? If I can't even access the internet, right? Believe me, I know exactly what you mean because there was a project that I was working on during the pandemic that before that we had to literally go into these senior homes and have these Facebook, I'm sorry, and have these focus group meetings and, you know, do these conversations. But because we couldn't go, okay, cool. Let me just send some emails. Let me send a Zoom to these communities. These people didn't have internet. They didn't have devices. That's right. So we figured out a way to navigate through that. But that was something that was definitely a band-aid was taken off during that time about the, That's right. about the digital divide in our community. That's right. So, so, and so for us to get to a place of true financial literacy as a, as a community, I think part of it is like reshaping how we think about money and how we think about wealth, how we think about, you know, our own individual, you know, goals, personal financial goals, like, you know, whether we should have them or not, you know, whether they're realistic. Cause you know, my mom could have made all kinds of financial goals when we were growing up. You know, but like none of them would have held true because like things came up, you know, that were out of our, you know, out of our control that required whatever money was being saved to be allocated to something different. Right. And so that that was the reality If nothing was stable. Nothing was firm enough to put your feet on and say, OK, this is going to be the same for the next 12, 18, you know, 24 months. And so we're going to take 20 percent of that and put it into savings. Right. Yeah. Like those weren't those are not realities. Right. So I think. I think for financial literacy to really take root, you know, we got to start at a, at a very basic level of like helping to condition people's minds as to why, you know, they need to think this way and what are the, the tools, you know, they're going to help them get there. You talked about your family, your mom and um, showing you examples for, um, you know, what it meant to be financially literate to the best of her ability. I know when I was coming up, my mom and dad did that as well, but I looked at a lot of folks in my neighborhood that were quote unquote financially li literate. Now their finances only might not have came from some of the best establishments, but they were folks that okay, this is when I knew I taught hearing about money. This is kind of who I kind of like looked at, and some of those guys we might have hooped with too, right? So, hey, hey, Rodney, the reality is like some of those guys that we're talking about, drug dealers, right? <sighs> like straight up, like some of the best drug dealers that we hoop with that we know, right? Like, like them dudes wasn't driving flashy cars. Like them dudes don't spend crazy. They don't stay, they cheap as hell, that is right? True. They stack they all, and they're good at stacking their money, right? 
so the, their source of income could be different, right? Right. But they had the financial prowess to understand how to allocate the dollars once they earned them, right? And so, like, you know, whether whether we learn it that way or however we got to learn it, I think the important part is that you know we're 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 sourcing our income and and positive ways that are increasing you know the positivity and and um and opportunities you know for growth within our own community but then we're also like you know putting it to work in a way that is like actionable and consistent and today we can't do that because you know a lot of a lot of things in the way so that was my next question you talk about putting it in a way that's actionable like can you share with me an opportunity or a time where you had an opportunity to again put those words into actions or put those financial literacy um ideas dreams goals aspirations into into action and you were either met with resistance and how did you work around that because yeah. at the end of the day you got to be a problem solver as well because those lived experiences that folks have in their life or whatever it is again we're talking about folks in that 33 that 30% at or below poverty level or folks who are venture capitalists or have money and they figured out ways how do you navigate through issues and problems from both sides right from that lower level to the higher level yeah it, it starts with with active listening first right like like oftentimes people are around you that are dropping gems Right, yes. they're dropping gems about like how they got their first million. They got their dropping gems about how they got a job, how they got their first house, how they how they you know got ahead on you know something you know some business opportunity. Right, they're, you know you might catch some chatter about that kind of stuff, but people never really lean in and listen to the hard hard parts of like how they actually did that. Right, or to the detail and the tactics that they use to actually do those things. They listen to the result. Right, because we all like to win. We all like to feel like, oh, I got, you know, I, I, I just magically won half a million dollars. Well, life doesn't work that way, right? You got to like really lean into the detail and listen in. And so I did that in 01 and I was fortunate enough that, it, you know, the story of Luke is not a story of a singular man, you know, navigating this world and is getting to success. It is a, it is a tribe. It is, a, is it a, a singular man constantly in search of a tribe right that was giving him jewels and knowledge and at different junctures in his life and so when i got to baltimore i i did meet you and 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 kirk and everybody else that i was hooping with but i also met dave bramble right dave bramble was a yeah. a guy i i'd known you know an undergrad me and dave were in the same are in the same fraternity and um and when we were in law school at the same time together and you know i i wasn't excited about the jobs i had in new york and connecticut and he was like just come to Baltimore. I was like, all right. <laughs> I didn't know anybody, right? But I figured I could, you know, I could figure it out. And so living with Dave for the first two years of my existence in Baltimore was eye-opening, right? First and foremost, I lived on the corner of Lawrence and Madison, right? And West Baltimore. <laughs> and like, and you already know, you already know. Bro, every day, every night, all I heard fiends outside and like this, and the street music all Sorry. night long, street music, right? Yep. And, but like, that was the best sleep I ever got since I've been in Baltimore because it felt like I was home, right? It felt like I was back in Bridgeport. But but even though I was in that environment, right? I was in the house with Dave and Dave was, we'd be talking about real estate transactions. We'd be talking about deals. We'd be talking about, you know, industry, right? All of those conversations were illuminating to me about like what I could do. And so the first, you asked me a question of like, okay, give me an example of like me putting my financial literacy training learnings 
you know, uh, lessons to work. Right. One of the first was really real estate, right? Once I learned, oh, okay, well, I'm a lawyer. The goal is not to be a lawyer, right? The goal is not to be a lawyer, to be a lawyer and just make, you know, a couple hundred K or half a million bucks a year in salary. And then like live in a nice house. There's a, there's more life that I could have, right? There's more impact and effect that I could have on the city. Right. And so real estate was one, one, one venue where I could do that and learning from Dave, how it, how it worked, you know, opened my eyes. Right. So I said, okay, well, the federal government is giving out a bunch of money for first time home buyers. Right. I don't even have to put like, I don't even have to put more than like one and a half percent down. And then like, I didn't even know that you could get seller concessions. And then I, I didn't even know that like, oh, because like in the state of Maryland, you know, you, you're, if you're a lawyer, right? Like you could use your law degree, at, you know, as for your real estate license, it's a very easy journey. Cause I property law is like, you know, first year of law school, right? Like everything uh, that realtors know, we know that times 10, right? right? And I took a whole bar here in the state of Maryland, passed on the first try, right? High enough scores to go into wave into DC. And so, and so like, I, I knew Maryland law as it related to property law. I knew all how to navigate that in a way that would put more money and put more dollars in my pocket. So putting that together, I bought my first house, um, in, in Bolton Hill with less than like a thousand dollars down. It was a six bedroom, six unit apartment building. I lived in one unit and then I rented out the rest. Right. And I made about, I don't know, it supplemented me about another 500 bucks a month. Right. And that was awesome. And, but then I learned that there was a, a loophole where you could buy a second house and it would still count as like a first time home buyer as long as that was within two years or something like that. Um, and so I bought a second house, right? I bought my second house on Charles Street um, in Charles Village and I rented that one out, made money on that. And then the market started going crazy. I was like, okay, I'll sell that house. I sold that house, I made $180,000. I was like, wow, that's my whole salary in law, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, this is the, again, putting financial literacy to work means that you're actively listening, developing those jewels, and then actually trying to execute on exactly what those people did. Right. And if you, and you're going to get stumped along the way, yeah, no of, course, of course, right. But you know, that that's one example. And I think financial literacy, I, I, I put it to work every day. Right. I, you know, I have, I have a, an app hooked up to my phone that basically, you know, rounds up, you know, any of my purchases and puts portion of that into my savings. Then I'm also saving, you know, 10% of my salary, my income, you know, from everything, whether it's a speaking engagement, whatever it is, 10% of that goes into savings, right? Those are little things that we can do every single day. Now life is going to hit you and like, you know, something's going to come up and you're going to need to just spend that money. Right. But at least you, you have it to have spend, it. right? Yeah. Yeah. And I like what you put in, uh, you know, for those who are listening again, I'm talking to Lou Cooper, good friend of mine, um, here on the bridge and thanking him for joining yeah, us yeah. and dropping some great jewels for us. And he's speaking it to him in his language and his word with his numbers. But I think the template you guys is something that can be adjusted and put on your life when you're talking about savings when you're talking about investments and i believe that a lot of that came from the tribe you talk about right and here in west baltimore and baltimore in general folks hang out with who they hang out with folks yeah. um you know mingle with who they mingle with and when it comes to business it's a little bit tighter when it comes to business folks are a little you know they clutched what they got 100%. the jewels that you're dropping right now I think are, are fantastic and hopefully as um, the patients program grows and we're finding ways again to put those templates or give those jewels to our community that we can put it in a language they understand but I want to go back and talk to something you talk about you dropped the jewel you said healthy self-esteem 
Yeah. Self-esteem is flat out, to me, self-explanatory itself. But when you put healthy in front of that, what does that mean to you? Healthy yeah. self-esteem. It means that the, the, the reason why you're doing it, the, the, the motivation behind it, the results that you're looking for, all line up with your purpose all all line up with some higher more important purpose that that um that is important to you right and, and like so think about it like in the context of basketball right if you if you trying to build your self-esteem you're trying to get better right like we all been there you know rodney i know you know you got a long history in baltimore you know building your your skill set if you coming at the game of basketball with like a mindset that like i gotta get good so i can get some girls I gotta get good so I can just like every, people, cause like you know Mike Lloyd, everybody everybody want to be like Mike Lloyd, so I'm just gonna be like Mike Lloyd. If I can just get in the gym a couple times and be like that, that's 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 not gonna build your self esteem, right? That's not it, it might it's not even gonna make you a better basketball player, right? Right? It's gotta come from within. It's gotta come from a place of true love, compassion for yourself and for your journey, uh, true true love and admiration for the place that you want to go to, right? And so and so you know self-esteem when you're 12 and you on the block and ain't nothing around you that's positive right we where, where your self-esteem come from it come from what, what i'm wearing on my feet right come from like back in i'm older than you rodney a little bit right and so like i remember fila was everything right the little fila people would die in my community over fila right that was yeah. that was a thing and i i just i wanted a pair of fila so bad i wanted a pair of the, uh, the shell toe adidas so bad right i couldn't afford them right but like that that me wanting those things that was coming from a place of like lack that was coming from a place of poverty right not a place of like high self-esteem right focusing my attention on a business that i that that i was learning how to like build at the time solar powered microwaves it wasn't like a a real complicated thing you know it was cardboard and plexiglass and aluminum foil and I sold hot dogs in it, right? Like, and I made a dollar per hot dog, right? No real genius type stuff. But the reality was that like, oh, I can do that because in our communities, and this is why the patients program is so important. In our communities, we don't know what we can do. We don't even know how powerful we are as a people, as individuals. And, and quite frankly, that, you know, they might not be dealing with poverty and other challenges, but that's not, that's also true of like majority America. Right, most individuals yeah. don't know how individually powerful they are, you know, and how they can affect circumstances that they seem that that might seem out of their control. Well, we're talking about research, and we're talking about getting folks involved in research and participating. That is kind of what I do specifically when I go into these senior homes, or when I go into um, Poppleton neighborhood, or. Uh, West Baltimore neighborhood is doing this that like letting them understand that your lived experiences because of them you have an opportunity to change your health outcomes for yourself for your family members for your community for others by sharing your lived experiences in a safe setting and I'm thankful for the patient program for providing that because when you talk about Baltimore yes you know we're home in a wire typically people say that all the time I hear that you're a basketball town. Okay, cool. I hear that. Um, but when you talk about research in the health world, they understand that something really not good, not great happened years ago um, when it comes to um, research, particularly in the African-American community with Henrietta Lacks. That's, That's right. You can People can Google that. So a lot of times when I go out to the community and say I'm Rodney Elliott from the Patients Program and I'm 
talking to you about research, people, oh man, they, they, they close up right away. But when I do find ways to kind of connect with them and break it down to them and let them know that, hey, we understand what happened in the past, is the past, we're not That's ignoring right. that, but in order for things to change and go forward, we need your help. That's right. We need your assistance. We need you to understand that your voice matters, it counts, and we appreciate that. Right. And we're all about trusting and building relationships. So my years, five years here, the patients program, I'm a lot more knowledgeable about understanding how to build relationships, understanding how to sustain relationships. Um, I found a tribe, so to speak, uh, in my community that I can reach out to um, when needed and also be available when they need me as well. That's important. And my self-esteem has gone up a whole lot. I mean, people say it all the time, oh man, Rodney Elliott, Dunbar, University of Maryland basketball, but I still get nervous when I have to speak at different speaking engagements. I still get nervous when I've got to go in front of some scenes and talk to them about participating. But that's that nervous energy that I relate to basketball as well, because when I'm nervous, that means I'm excited. I'm, 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 I'm ready right. to go. But then once I get going, once I get playing, I'm good to go. Once I get talking and once the, the, um, patience day or once the event gets started okay it's smooth sailing for me so um that was awesome man you dropped some good jewels on that and i know you're a busy guy and i don't want to take up too much more of your time but i do want to talk to luke but what luke's got going on now what is luke hooper has his hand in now um another title that i didn't mention is venture capitalist oh man that's had to google that look at that a couple times before i uh brought the question to you so talk to me a little bit about what you got going on in that space luke yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, and and I want to go back to something you said earlier. Yes, go Julie, ahead. Right? Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that like all the things that we're talking about, building healthy self-esteem, you know, building a company that you care about, whether it's a nonprofit or for profit, whatever it is, all of those things feed into like healthy mental health. Oof. Right? Like we have so many things in our community that tell us we can't do this. We're not. We're not. We're not. We're, we're subhuman. You know that we're not worthy of love. That we're not worthy of. Our own, even our own self-love, right? That, that you know, it's important for us to put our hands and our labor to things that build up, the, the, you know, the, the, a healthier sort of version of ourselves in this way, um, because it leads to, you know, good mental health as well, right? Good financial health equals good mental health. Uh, you, can't, you can't have one without the other. And so, I mean, you can be incredibly poor, right? Uh, um, and, and, and still have good mental health, right? Um, but, you know, not having your needs met in, in, in any way whatsoever, I think, um, is is what has led to a lot of like the demise of our of our you know of capitalism within our communities, right? Um, and and I am focused on that, and so all of these themes to me go together, right? So now we're talking about Latimer, Latimer Ventures, right? T to me, there it's it's the same mission, right? It's it's all it's connected to my work at University of Maryland Baltimore. Um, you know, the distinguished scholar, scholar role, uh, presidential scholar role, it's all connected because, you know, ultimately I am trying to increase the flow of capital, um, to people who don't have access to it, to people who don't have access to the, to the capital markets. Right. And, and the most efficient way for me to do that was to, to raise a bunch of money and then, you know, invest in great companies that, you know, bring them closer to outcomes that like put money in their pocket, put money in investors pocket which in turn helps them like, you know, put money into their own communities, right? So we're investing in black founders who are building technology companies and we're helping them exit those companies to big companies after a sale. Um, and, and that work to me is, is the same as, as, 
as the work that I'm doing with 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 um, B360 and Brittany and trying to help her, you know, raise money, build her thing up so she can help more kids learn about STEM through dirt bikes, right? Because if that happens, more kids are going to care about tech and more kids are going to do tech and deliver great ideas that exist within the hood today that can't get out. And as they mature through the funnel, they become great founders that I can write checks to and help them exit, right? So it's all connected to me, right? I'll, and I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll wrap with this one story, right? How I know it's all connected because I gave a speech on this exact subject. You know, again, Latimer Ventures is a $50 million enterprise tech focused fund that I'm raising, you know, um, um, you know, actively currently, right? But, but um, you know, I'm giving a speech around these topics uh, for, um, for um, uh, Will Barton. Will Barton has a, you know, a, a top 100 camp, right? That he yep. does every year. You know that camp, right? Yep, yep. All, you know, top 100 kids from across the country at that camp. And I, you know, I, they brought me in to speak. So I was the keynote, spoke, you know, great, great, great conversation, great kids, all that stuff, right? I rocked the speech. I left the, the that conversation at the best school, right? Uh, not the best school, the seed school. And I'm coming down Pratt Street. You know where I'm at, Rodney. Coming down Pratt Street, on the west side, right before you get downtown, like the real, real Pratt Street, right? Real Pratt Street. To me, Pratt Street in my mind is like Rodeo Drive, right? <laughs> right, right. Like in in LA, you got Rodeo Drive, where all the goddamn, you know, boutiques uh, uh, and Gucci, Louis yeah. Vuitton is. Yeah. But then you got Rodeo Drive in the hood. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like for me, that that is exactly what that represented. And so, and so for me, that was like that's the real, right? And so. Coming down Pratt Street on the real side of Pratt Street, I'm like right before South, like probably like three blocks before South Cary. And, and so like as I'm coming down, you know, and I drive a Tesla, as you know, Rodney, right? And I'm 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 pulling in my Tesla, like doing probably 30, 40 miles an hour, right? And I look to my left, and as a kid, this is 9:30 at night. I'm coming from giving this speech about these exact topics, topics. There's a kid, you know, 16-year-old kid standing straight up going just as fast as me he not holding on to no handlebars or nothing he's just standing straight up like doing this i'm like what the hell is going on and so i, I come up to the stoplight and i look at him and this kid is holding a, a comcast tv remote and he's on standing on a baseboard with wheels under it and it's got wires and everything connected to it and the remote control is controlling his speed he, it goes top speed was like 30 miles an hour Right. And I'm like, bro, what is this? Like, what? He's like, I just was bored. I just wanted to do it. I wanted my own, like, little, you know, transportation vehicle. 16 year old kid in Baltimore. <laughs> you can't tell me that genius is not in these neighborhoods and yeah. it can't get out. And the work that I'm doing at University of Maryland, Baltimore to expose more of our budgets, to expose more of, you know, entrepreneurship opportunity, training, all of that to our community which in turn hopefully creates more entrepreneurs that I can invest in, you know, it is exactly the work, right? And those all things are connected in my mind. They're all definitely connected. Um, I, I, I love the, the way that I've always taken you mechanic for someone that goes into a room and he listens with not only his ears, but you listen with your eyes and your body. Like you always have opportunity to read the room. Right. And I've learned that skill too, like how to read the room and, you know, when you can do that, you're able to go in different pockets where you can go talk to seed school. Then you can go in the president's office. You can come to Pacers program. And I called out of the, a, 
Luke, you mind getting them on stage? Give me a quick, quick, quick conversation, real quick. Yeah. yeah. And that's and that's awesome and fantastic. But to recognize the talent that is in our city is awesome, and it takes a special eye for that. And um, that's again part of your rate, your upbringing, part of the, the your lived experiences. You know, as far as your tribe is concerned, them pouring into you, having that self-esteem, that healthy self-esteem. I see it all the time, man. And, you know, best of luck to what you got going on. I know you're going to continue to rock. I know you're going to raise those funds. I know that's not what you really set out to do in the, in the beginning, but you figured out a way to make it work. So, you know, that's going to be awesome. But you have definitely have a roadmap that is tangible, a roadmap that's has speed bumps. It's going to have potholes. But what it's going to have is the engine that's going to keep on going. Absolutely. Man. And Absolutely. Uh, Luke, that's fantastic, man. I Thank appreciate you. you jumping on, joining us here on the bridge. Thank you. Um, had an awesome time. And I don't know about you, but I'm not playing no more ball. <laughs> yeah, my knee's done, man. Dude, I texted you this morning and said, hey, Luke, I'm going to the gym. And I look forward to that conversation. I was on the treadmill walking, did a little ab work, and called it a day. That's it. That's it. Bro, that's it. That's, I don't know. I mean, Kirk was our age doing what he was doing on the court. I'll, and then he tore his knee up too, but I, I don't. I, I, I'm good. I'm yeah, good on that. Yeah, for sure. I'm good on that. Sure. Yeah. No, I appreciate this conversation. Thank you for having me. You know, ultimately, you know, we're all in community with each other, and our goal is just to be good to each other. Just to be good to each other. Just to be good to. Each other. That's it. And that's that's not hard. That's mm -hmm. not hard. Not hard to meet the community where they are. That's it. And, and that's exactly what we do with the Patients Program here at The Bridge. And thank you, Luke, for meeting us where we are today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Bridge Podcast. To learn more about The Patients Program, visit our website at www.patients.umaryland.edu.